and welcome to Cult Movie Cult, where we watch and discuss the horrific, the obscure, and the flat-out strange from the other side of cinema. I'm Mark Dickerson. And I'm Jeremy Fink. And this is the third episode in our series, X-Rated and Animated, The World of Ralph Bakshi, where we'll be digging into the work of a true and controversial auteur of animated cinema. Today, we'll be discussing Bakshi's first foray into the fantasy genre, 1977's Wizards. There will come a time on the planet Earth when science and technology will be long forgotten, when humanity will rise from the ashes of nuclear holocaust, when wizards will rule the world. 20th Century Fox presents Wizards, a futuristic fantasy epic born in the mind of Ralph Bakshi, the master of animated magic. Wizards is a Tolkien world of fairies and elves, sorcerers, and demons. It is shot 10 million years from now against strange and huge panoramic settings. And it is more fantastic, more enchanting, and more powerful than anything you've seen before. Wizards. The ultimate futuristic fantasy epic. All right, so we are going to, uh, as Jeremy already mentioned, discuss Wizards today. We do want to touch on a film that came before this by Bakshi uh, that we're not going to go into fully uh, for a couple reasons. One reason is because um, we feel like we've covered a lot of the same territory with our uh, Fritz the Cat episode. Uh, it's very similar in tone and its humor and satire. Um, and also heavy traffic a bit as well. So this is, um, it's a little bit more of the same kind of a, a thing. It's still, it's still worth watching, I, I would say, and still uh, good as, you know, as far as Bakshi's work goes. Um, but as far as uh, what we're going to be focusing on, I think we want to kind of go on to his next big project. Uh, but before we do, we want to just touch on this one. So this was Coonskin, uh, 1975. It received mixed reviews, right, Jeremy? It was, it was not really well-received, we would say. Um, yeah, it was, so Coonskin, it was a 1975 live-action and animated crime film written and directed by Bakshi that followed an African-American rabbit, fox, and bear who rise to the top of an organized crime racket in Harlem, and it deals with the mafia, corrupt law enforcement, and other city themes. Um, and at this point, is mostly remembered for it being controversial, for its controversy, um, in that the depiction of the African-American characters, as well as just other racial, religious, and other stereotypes along those lines, kind of yeah. overshadowed the actual work of art in and of itself. It's a pretty interesting film, um, but like Mark mentioned, kind of we, we've already covered some of the territory and it strays a little bit. Um, but if you are interested in exploring all of Bakshi's worth, uh, if you are interested in exploring all of Bakshi's work, it's definitely worth checking out. But yeah, definitely. we digress and back to what we're talking about today, which is Wizards from 1977. Uh, Wizards is an animated post-apocalyptic science fiction fantasy film written and produced by Bakshi and animated mm -hmm. along with his team that follows a battle between two wizards who are brothers of opposing powers, one representing magic and nature and love and the other representing industrial technology, hate, evil, and war. Mm-hmm. Some interesting themes for what's supposed to be a, a children's film, <laughs> a family film, I guess, is what he uh, what Bakshi set out to make for this one. So this is, uh, you know, at the end of the day, when I think about all his of his work, I think this would be my favorite of his films. 
Um, and it's different than anything else he really did. Um, he would return to the fantasy genre, obviously, a couple of times, uh, most notably with the Lord of the Rings adaptation that he did after this, uh, immediately after this, actually. And he also did a film called Fire and Ice, which dealt with fantasy elements. But this was his first foray into that realm uh, and quite different from what we had seen before. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so, quite different. Yeah. Um, but it works in some weird way. It's, it's his own world that he created. Uh, he started from scratch and he just took influences that he loved, like things from comic books or old, you know, pulp novels and things like that. Um, and he worked that together with a message. And that message, I think, is a really important one and one that runs pretty deep. And I think he goes some interesting places with that message. Yeah. Um, and as you mentioned, Jeremy, it's uh, the main conflict here is between uh, technology and magic. Yeah. So magic, um, you know, and he uses that in, uh, obviously not in like the actual, <laughs> this is magic. Uh, you know, it's more of a metaphor mm -hmm. for creativity and uh, originality and, and free speech and all of that kind of thing, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, but really, this film is a warning against an over-reliance on technology, uh, which is something that Bakshi has talked about as well. Because um, even at the time that he made this movie, he started to see things going in a certain direction. And, you know, he said himself, technology is great and it helps people and it can be a really positive thing. But there's, if you don't keep certain aspects of it in check and you don't keep certain people in check regarding technology, uh, there can be some consequences. And I think this film really delves into that. Yeah. And as we mentioned earlier, so in a, to give it a little bit of context, coming off of Coonskin, as we mentioned, there was a lot of controversy um, surrounding Bakshi. His work had been protested. And I think that he maybe saw this film as an opportunity to kind of regain his footing as a creative person. Um, yes. I think he, he wanted to get away from the controversy a little bit and yes. create something that really was more about telling a good story and expressing mm -hmm. ideas that wasn't just being picked apart for its politics. Um, right. so, so this was originally intended to be a children's film. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend watching this with your young children. Mm -hmm. um, or Maybe... Um... Maybe older children, like, yeah, like, like late teens or yeah, like like I'd say like a teenager, like young to late teenagers can handle yeah. this. Um, there are definitely some uh, pretty dark themes. Um, the the one the one evil brother in this draws a lot of parallels to Hitler, and um, not not in a subtle way either. He's pretty no, directly expressed as a Hitler esque character. And he basically idolizes Hitler. Yeah, he uh, idolizes Hitler much, and yeah. uses Hitler's methods of um, rounding rounding up troops and creating, you know, using hate speech and all of that to kind of guide his army yeah. to doing dastardly things. So definitely, mm -hmm. definitely not a lighthearted little children's movie. Um, it has moments, moments of uh, lightheartedness, I would say. I mean, particularly for a Ralph Bakshi movie. Yeah. But as you're saying, I mean, the overall themes and, and whatnot are pretty dark. So uh, to call this a kid's movie, maybe not. Maybe in, uh, in the 70s, because back then, you know, Jaws was PG. And, yeah. You know, it, the, the rating system really wasn't really what it is today. There, was, um, there were less lines. Drawn. Yeah, we had talked we had talked about that before a little bit. Um, but that was very evident at this time. And I think... Bakshi, but I think, again, for him, I think this was lighter fare in a, in a lot of ways. Um, and really, he was pushing himself. I mean, he said this in a lot of interviews that he 
he had made the kind of street level urban type film, which we did discuss already. And, you know, those were well received, but he wanted to try to do something different. He wanted to take his different influences and try to make his own fantasy film. And that's what Wizards is uh, at the end of the day. And it it is actually Fox's first uh, feature length animated film as well, which I, th- I found interesting. So they really took a risk on him, uh, even though he had been pretty successful before this. I mean, as you said, Jeremy, uh, you know, Coonskin had come out right before this and this that movie was heavily protested and demonstrated against and there were smoke bombs going off in theaters and mm-hmm. you know there's a, there's a story about Martin Scorsese walking past or actually he was filming I believe um for Taxi Driver I think and and there, this was going on around him so it was a pretty big deal so for Fox to take a risk like this uh I could not imagine that uh, this day and age no. but for some reason I, I guess he knew someone that helped him out there um but yeah he was able to make this fantasy film a pretty big and actually part of that i think is because um this film was very low budget um i would actually have to compare it to the other ones i think it might it might be on the lower end but he, yeah. he he produced this very cheaply, um, which was part of the reason that he used a lot of uh, the experimental techniques that he normally uses. But mm-hmm. he does it to uh, an even more of a, an effect in this one. I think he, um, you know, and a lot of that was for budget because he wanted to use uh, he uses uh, st- a lot of stock footage and and, uh, you know, previously filmed footage and things like that in the film. And a lot of that is for budgetary reasons. But I think it works really well um, with his kind of hodgepodge. Uh, throw everything into the you know <laughs> into the pot and see what happens I think it, it works really well in this film but wh- how do you feel about it yeah I think it's kind of a collage you know in the way it's created mm-hmm. like visually it, it fe- and to me that may it helps give it that otherworldly feel in yeah. a way because it's not such a such a conventional like it's not a conventional cartoon style first of all his his style as we've already seen and talked about in our previous episodes you know he had a very unique style. Um, that's why we would venture to call him an auteur, I think, is his style, both visually but also thematically, um, is very distinct. Yeah. But I think in this, particularly because he was using so much of this, you know, so much rotoscoping, he was using a lot of stock footage, he really yeah. did a nice job of creating something that felt otherworldly. You know, th- mm-hmm. this this did feel like a distant future. It, it, didn't, it didn't just feel yeah. like... Um, because I think a lot of the time, for me, you'll, I mean, we've talked about, we had our whole science fiction series, mm-hmm. but I think sometimes when things get a little too futuristic, mm-hmm. it can be kind of, um, it almost doesn't feel like it could have ever come from the time we're in now. And to mm-hmm. me, this film, what it did well is it really showed the kind of misinterpretation um, of relics. The, there was one Religious scene. Yeah, relics, they, yeah. You're, oh, sorry, you can talk about. Well, it. there was one scene where they're in, they're in what's I guess this is kind of a church or some house of worship, and the relics that are there aren't Jesus imagery. It's it's not you know um, any really known religion. It's like Coca Cola posters yeah. and you know other other pop culture yeah. elements that this this civilization way down the line has decided that. Um, were our most religious things, which to me is such an interesting idea because if someone, I think, were to, you know, if an alien were to come to the United States or most countries, I guess, at this point, and they see that the kind of things that we're worshipping, they would probably be led to believe that we worshipped, you know, <laughs> Apple and Kim Kardashian. And it's yeah, like... like Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, Star Wars. Like, like, I don't think that the conclusion would be that 
religion really played yeah. much of a role at all. They would almost be seen as like very eclectic cults or something like that, I think. You know what I mean? Yeah, it'd be a confusing... Which, yeah. It's... Uh, and I, I do like how far in the future this is set. And I also mm-hmm. love that the movie opens with the world exploding, which yeah. is just great. Well, not exploding, I guess, but lots of bombs going yeah, off. Yeah, being devastated <laughs> and, and by nuclear it, war. It begins with Armageddon, basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is just kind of like an interesting way to open up a film. Um, so we should start by just kind of going... We don't go too much into plots in this uh, mm-hmm. you know, podcast, as you probably know by now. Uh, but we do hit on uh, lots of... You know, we try to get some of the main story beats down or just what the basic premise is. So for this film, um, as I said, it's technology versus magic. Um, So there's these two wizards. Um, It's Avatar, who is, you know, the good wizard, basically. And then there is Black Wolf, who is the evil wizard. And they are brothers. And there's a like a prologue, I guess, that starts out the film uh, where these kind of like tableau style with the narrator, which is kind of nice. Um, it's It really feels like a, like a storybook kind of like a, you know, fairy tale or something. So that's what brings you in uh, to the movie. And they tell you about these two brothers who are at odds and they fight each other. And and uh, basically the, the good wizard avatar goes into exile almost. Um, and the, while the evil, evil wizard, he, uh, he is basically in hiding and kind of getting his army together to, to um, you know, he's, he has all these, this technology that he's found um, from the relic, or, you know, relics of the past, which is our current time uh, or the seventies, I guess yeah. <laughs> when the film was made. And uh, so he, uh, he discovers all of this. I don't know what you call it, I guess technology and, and paraphernalia and all these things. And, and one of the things he discovers is uh, actual newsreel footage of, the Nazis invading different areas and uh, war footage from the Second World War. And a projector. Um, And a projector. So he can show this to his uh, loyal subjects and they get all, they get worked up about it. They get all riled up and, you know, and it's basically showing that this evil nature uh, is still exists and that certain people are are still drawn to doing, uh, to atrocities basically, to causing uh, these kind of war atrocities. Um, so that's the basic premise that they eventually try to take over the, the land that they, they live in, which is a, basically like an imaginary land, but it, does, it is supposed to be Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to talk about Avatar as a main character or a main protagonist um, because he's not a typical wizard, I would say. He's not whimsical or anything like that. No. Um, he's, not, he's not really even wise. <laughs> no. He's just like a cigar-chomping, like crotchety, uh, <laughs> sort of like a bored take on this type of character like he's kind of um he's just like seems exhausted and over everything and kind of like you know i don't know i I find him very comical and enjoyable like as a main character and like sort of interesting he's like very like i said like tired and kind of just like goes you know for the first part at least he's kind of just going along with the adventure he's not really you know he like he he has this thing with his brother but he's not really gonna you know he's not concerned with doing too much about it because he's kind of just like given up on everything at that point yeah um but um, he's still optimistic, sort of, and he, that kind of takes over towards the end, uh, which is kind of like a cool journey that he goes on with the other characters. And he's also modeled after Peter Peter Falk, which is funny, <laughs> like the way he talks and moves around and stuff. Like, Just one minute, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Um, so it's kind of like a, a fun main character. Um, what did you think about him? Well, I, yeah, I think he's a kind of interesting main character. Um, because he's he's not really an anti-hero. He's not like a bad dude. He's just kind of lazy. Like he just doesn't he just doesn't yeah. really seem into 
which is so is so kind of contrary because in the traditional hero's journey there'll be that moment where the hero kind of rejects the the quest but then eventually when they accept it it's just they're full-fledged in it but for him it's kind of like he's kind of trying to reject the quest the whole time (laughs) it kind of goes back to our slacker series yeah yeah, um which which might be an interesting statement because you know you think about his brother black wolf has been living in this dark land and this horrible environment for years and years and years so he wants he's to very make, determined he's very yeah. determined because he's pissed and he's jealous and what but whereas avatar as a character i think you know he's kind of been living comfortably like he doesn't really seem all that concerned yeah. with things every I, time you see him he has his feet up his yeah. shoes are off he's like smoking a cigar with his with his feet and, yeah i think yeah. i think he's just laid back and he's mm-hmm. just kind of reluctant to a journey just because he, it's been so long since he's actually had to really do anything yeah. It's, it's just kind of like, oh, he's just chilling and, and you know, mm-hmm. personally after after years and years of peace and relaxation, I, you know, who wouldn't be a little adverse to having to go back to doing some kind yeah. of intense, violent, scary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to Fritz the Cat, weirdly, though, I, I wonder if, because we know that Bakshi has discussed hippie culture a lot, mm-hmm. and you look at Avatar, and even though Avatar is painted in, like, a, obviously a much better light, and Black Wolf, mm-hmm. he kind of is almost reminiscent of like the hippies in a weird yeah, way, where it's like there's a little bit of Fritz the Cat in him. There's a little sure, bit of yeah. Fritz the Cat in him, where he's kind of just more interested in kind of feeling things out. Um, mm-hmm. And ultimately, it almost you know that almost ends up being his downfall. Yeah. So I think that you know Bakshi, as we've talked about before, doesn't really spare anyone in his work. You know, any no. any character who is there will be critiqued. Um, mm-hmm. They'll they'll be they'll be if the, if it's a character that ultimately. Um, has good intentions and looks to do good things in the world, I think ultimately that character will be um, praised, that character will be supported, but it won't be without that critique. And I think that Avatar is an interesting character because, as you mentioned, Mark, he's so not the traditional wizard who would just be this right. all-knowing, all-good. Yeah. You know, he, he's he's a pretty, like, like he, he almost messes things up as much as <laughs> his enemies do. Yeah, he's not... He's no Gandalf, that's for sure. He's like, yeah, you know, he's he's not, yeah, yeah. I just like that he's he's just not your stereotypical wizard. Like he did something different with that type of character. Yeah. So though the story of wizards is more epic in a lot of ways, I still find it very personal. Yeah. Um, a personal film, like all his his films are in some way. Um, so obviously there's a Nazi Holocaust uh, allusions and imagery that we talked about. There's the actual newsreel footage that he uses. Um, Definitely not something you would see in a typical fantasy film, but I think it was important for the story that he wanted to tell. And I think that um, Bakshi coming from a Jewish family, mm-hmm. I think it was very personal for him in a lot of ways. And I, th- I feel like he was getting a lot of demons out um, with this film in a, you know, in a fantasy setting in like a very fantastical way. I think it just um, he was able to to do that. And um, do you think that. um do you think that Bakshi, you know, this is a question I thought when I was watching the film last time. Um, do you think he views animation or creativity in general as magic? Like, you know, we talk about magic in the film. Do you think that that's something that he was trying to say with, with this film? Well, yeah, I think that, and that was something I was thinking about too. I think animation, but I think more just imagery and specifically motion pictures in general, he views as not only magic, but extremely powerful. Um, because yeah. in this film, the thing that ultimately is the greatest weapon for 
Black Wolf and his army isn't the weapons that they have. Like, they, they, they found mm-hmm. guns from the past. They found tanks. Yeah. But that's ultimately not the biggest weapon they have. The biggest weapon they have is footage from, of Adolf yeah. Hitler from World War II. It's and, an idea. Yeah, almost. it's an idea. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's what I think in Bakshi's work that he almost views as magic is he mm-hmm. sees creativity and he sees um, images and motion pictures as serious power, you know, I, and, I, and I think that coming off of a movie like Coonskin, where it became clear to him that what he was doing with his creative work had that real world influence and could really upset people and really make people intensely passionate or pissed mm-hmm. off, but also, if used correctly, could make them loving. And, you know, I think maybe, and this is all just speculation, I haven't ever talked about Bakshi nor heard him say this in an interview, but maybe, you know, the response, the the... the the confused and uh, I don't I don't want to say misinterpreted because I don't think Bakshi has necessarily gone on the record about Coonskin saying what his intention was, but the fact mm-hmm. that people interpret it in such a way that they thought he was saying something that was racially insensitive or malicious, and mm-hmm. he probably didn't intend for that, made him have this realization about the power of images and the power yeah, of the true. ability for images and art to influence and be misinterpreted. Right. Um, because that is a big thing in this movie. That's, that's Definitely. the weapon that they yeah. have is, is mm-hmm. ideas and propaganda. Right. He's gone on record himself to say not all technology is bad and that, you mm-hmm. know, he understands that it has to be there. But when you lose, like the, the idea of, of losing magic or losing uh, creativity or, or things like that. I mean, that's scary. And that's something that you gotta, you have to te- you have to keep it in check and you have to always be, um, vigilant about things like that. And I think that's more what this film is trying to say. It's not trying to say all technology is bad. It's mm-hmm. just saying, you know, keep an eye on it and, and make sure it doesn't get out of hand, basically. You know, so you, at the end of the day, you're still a human being and you have to, you know, you have to have your, your mind and your creativity and things that, you know, that you keep, keep you sane. I think he was trying to, to really show that in this film. Yeah. I mean, as we, as we even mentioned before, he used a lot of new technologies to make this film. You know, yes, in terms of his, his animation, but but I think it was, he saw them as um, a means to getting somewhere positive. I mean, and spoiler alert, as we always have on mm-hmm. the show, the, the way that Avatar yeah, ends up resolving that. the conflict mm-hmm. is he shoots his brother with a gun. And the, right. throughout the whole movie, Avatar has been kind of protesting any mm-hmm. violent technologies that are out there. But this entire time, he's been holding this gun that he says is, is something that his mother taught him, which means yeah. that even even during the 3,000 years of peace, uh, mm-hmm. the queen, who was supposed to be this like peaceful, almighty, wonderful person, was still still had that, that secret, or not the secret, but the understanding that sometimes the force and technology is necessary, mm-hmm. but it has to be used responsibly and only at a right. time. And this this could be a parable, um, if you think about it, to how the United States behaved in World War II a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the character of Avatar, because historically, you know, the United States tried to stay out of the war, as Avatar did. He said, oh, no, we don't need yeah. to do this, we don't need to do this. Right. And then eventually he kind of got begrudgingly involved. But then by the end of the war, he's the one doing the most violent acts, as the United mm-hmm. States was with the nuclear bomb, because yeah. they viewed it as a necessary evil. Uh, and which it culminates... With him pulling the trigger. With him pulling the trigger, which, of course, you know, that's something that's hotly debated to this day, whether the United States dropping the nuclear bombs was Mm -hmm. necessary or whether it was an excessive use of force. 
right. that killed a lot of innocent people. And I think it could be said in this movie, you know, yeah. like by the time that Avatar actually pulls the trigger, like it looked like there might have been other ways for him to solve it. But yeah. he saw it as a necessary evil and did what he yeah. had to do. Man, a lot of this film is more prescient than ever, I feel like, right now. It's yeah. just like the messages it has. Um, wow. It's just, I don't know. It, it's it's hard to believe almost that it was the 70s because, you know, it's just you mm-hmm. look at it and it's just the messages are, you know, they're universal in a way. It's just yeah. um, it's pretty amazing. Um, but let's talk about how he how he does deliver these messages because we talked about, we hit on the, you know, the experimental nature a little bit. I want to go into that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So um, just as we've seen, as we've seen in his previous films, Bakshi employs a lot of experimental techniques in this film. Um, and as I mentioned, it was also a way to work around his, uh, his budget, you know, constrictions that he had. Um, so he uses live action backgrounds. He uses stock footage. Um, he uses different animation techniques. He actually uses some rotoscoping, uh, which we talked about a little bit in our last episode, where you uh, basically a, a, a live uh, live footage or a live figure would be traced over and used at, in an animated way. And he does that in this film uh, with the stock footage, actually. A lot of the old war footage, he will actually, he would dr- draw over them and he would add things to certain aspects, like he would give things wings or, you know, certain soldiers or the horses or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, he, you know, he has tanks in there. He has all kinds of stuff. And so that, the reason for that is manyfold because there was the budget reasons. There was the, just the uh, experimental nature that he brings to his films. He likes to use different techniques um, because to him, it's like, you know, this is animation. We should be creative with it. And he likes to throw different things in like that um, because it's all about the message. Really. If these, if these techniques get across the message and then that's all that matters. Um, But also he wanted to really emphasize that the evil side, you know, he wanted to make them scary. Um, And I'm sure kids would be scared by the imagery in this. And I mean, it's a little Mm -hmm. terrifying even to me watching it. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, as a man in his thirties, it's like, you know, cause the, there is something to the technique of, of rotoscoping where it's, it looks real, but it's not. And the fact that he uses this, this old footage, I mean, there's something very creepy and sinister about it and all the blacks and, you know, like the different colors he uses, the grays and these really dark colors that he, you know, that he invokes. It, it just, it really adds to it. Um, did you get that kind of feeling from these scenes? Yeah, I thought it was pretty daunting and disturbing and i think that that use of the real footage and real imagery made it feel even more so um because i Mm -hmm. think in cartoon generally with cartoons well at least personally when i see a cartoon my expectation and kind of goal is to see something that's totally removed from what i would consider like real feeling i want something kind of magical and out there and and this was and i think he like as we said before he did such a good job creating that otherworldliness but i think he also because he used i mean the 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 first shot of the movie is live action it is yeah you know and and i think by incorporating things that felt but by making it feel like it could almost be just this like this underbelly of the real world it, it felt kind of more intense and scary and yeah, like uh, an alternate reality kind of. Yeah, like like yeah, like it's not so much that, and it's not supposed to be um, a different. Like it's it's not like Middle Earth, you know. It's it's not that. It's supposed to be here. It's supposed to be, I think, in the United States, just years and years and years, you know, from now. And and I think that by using some of that real imagery, it was kind of a reminder of that. That like even though this seems absurd, and to a certain extent it is, you know, this is coming off of a time when. 
I mean, obviously the threat of nuclear war is still present today, but this was coming off of a time when a, a lot of people, you know, Bakshi had already been born when the bombs were dropped. You know, it's like like this for this generation, this kind of post-war growing up since World War II generation, that threat of nuclear war and those kind of things was still very present. Um, it was on the mind, yeah. Yeah, also, you know, Bakshi growing up, he was born in 1938. And so you have to think, if you think about it, when he's, you know, 15, 16 years old, which is kind of the 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 most important time for young movie watchers generally the movies that were coming out were a lot of those 1950s sci-fi movies that were all about how scary things could be if a nuclear bomb went off they were about the unknown effects of radiation mm-hmm. you know so so this movie even though it seems like it's a stretch that radiation would do that to yeah. people like to a certain extent, like, like, I think that the fairies and everything, like, that's a stretch, but the idea of these kind of, like, uh, disturbed, deformed, grotesque human beings, yeah. that's not so far off, if you, if, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, what, like, radiation can do to a person, like, it can really, mm-hmm. like, like, the, it's, it's horrifying, so, yeah. so I think that in, in rooting it in that reality, he created something that was kind of a lot... It, it dug into something a little deeper than your average cartoon is able to. For sure. And that rotoscoping technique with the Black with uh, Black Wolf's evil army, mm-hmm. that in contrast to the traditionally animated other yeah. side, you know, the good, quote-unquote, good side of the wizards and the fairies, mm-hmm. is something that's pretty interesting. You don't see that a lot at all in animation. Yeah. Um, to have such a stark contrast there is, is interesting. Yeah, it's like they're um, sketches. Like, they're not even... Yeah, it's almost like like human. <laughs> it's almost like they're yeah they're fighting this real thing and like it's so real, you know. Yeah. And they're they're up against it. It's it's uh it's interesting. Yeah. And um, so there's uh you know we talk about Bakshi's style a little bit. I want to touch on it here because this film is a combination of Bakshi's sort of rough animation style, I guess you call it, uh, along with his usual satirical tone. I think it's still there, right? Still. Yeah. still in place uh, in a lot of parts, like you said, with the Coca-Cola uh, <laughs> relics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he still has that conversational dialogue as well, uh, which, which really works in an interesting way, I think, against the backdrop of a, a grand fantasy story. Um, it's interesting, it's particularly the way uh, Avatar speaks is just kind of, I mean, it really is Peter Falk. Essentially, it's just, you know, it's Columbo, like, you know, in yeah. this world of, of fantasy. Um, the other characters, I probably, you know, I would say they probably don't speak uh, as naturalistically, naturalistically as him Mm -hmm. but um i think him in particular like really he carries that kind of that ground level uh street urban style that um actually uh delves into a lot and um so it's a sort of a fairy tale mixed with sci-fi elements uh real world elements uh, it's really hard to classify in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, as, as with most of Bakshi's work, yeah. I would say. Well, and one thing that I, uh, we don't need to talk about it too long, but just a brief thing that I thought found particularly interesting was his use of music in this film. Um, because yeah, let's talk about that. As far as, soundtrack, I yeah, think, as far as I know, this is the only fantasy I've ever filmed that has used jazz music, at least in a way that's not like tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, they, like they very earnestly would incorporate jazz and funk yeah. like they like this there was there was contemporary music in this film um well contemporary to the time along um, with more of the like fantasy yeah uh, like instrumental type music as well yeah there was kind of a mix and i thought that was something yeah. that was particularly interesting uh, for me yeah. you know i'm a huge paul thomas anderson fan as i talk about all the time on this podcast and it, it kind of brings to mind for me something a movie like there will be blood 
where you you okay. have some of the music of the time, but you also have um, who's it like John? Yeah, like like very contemporary scoring yeah. that sounds like it could be an experimental piece of music that would be yeah. played out like not yeah. having any connection to a period piece. It gives you like a different perspective. Yeah, and, and to me yeah. that gives films it, it ties them to their time, but it also kind of opens them up from their time a little bit. Um, right, right. Because it says, "Oh, we're going to do something contemporary. We're doing something that is it's present, especially for a film like this, where even yeah. though it's set in the future, when you're watching characters fighting with swords, immediately we think, oh, this is the past. This doesn't have anything to do with us.' But I think setting some of those scenes to contemporary music gives it the mm-hmm. feeling like, oh, this is something that we have to pay attention to. This is something that is present now. And that's sort of ballsy in its own way too. I mean, he's a I would, I'll call him a ballsy guy. I mean, oh, absolutely, he takes, yeah. He takes a lot of risks, Bakshi does. So, I mean, I think, yeah, that's not, again, not a very typical fantasy trope. You would not see that yeah. uh, at all. Like, you would you would just see, like, your typical generic, uh, you know, soundtrack, which, you know, and I, and I think the all the music is good. I think all the, um, the score that was made for this film is very good. Um, there's actually, like, an original song, uh, Time Will Tell, I believe it's called. Uh, that plays through the credits and yeah, just like some beautiful stuff. And, and also I, I found um, some of the painted backgrounds were just very beautiful. Um, some of the techniques that were used, he actually, uh, he employed two different uh, background artists for this, um, you know, because obviously he worked on it, but he wasn't the only one. There was mm-hmm. a whole team of, of animators that he had and he, he personally hired these background uh illustrators because he liked their work and he thought they would bring something really unique to the film. And I think they did. Um, and I think it's the type of movie where you could watch it with the sound off and still really appreciate it. Like it has that look yeah. and, you know, so you have Bakshi's um, usual style of animation, which I said is kind of rough or raw or however you want to describe it like that. But then you have these backgrounds, which are particularly the, the scenes with black wolf and his evil uh, dominions and whatnot. Uh, just really uh, stark, complicated, kind of like I said, beautiful. I think uh, backgrounds, uh, which really con- contrast what you know everything else that you see, and then you have the the more fantasy like uh, backgrounds in the forest and things like that. So really cool stuff going on, even with the sound off. If you just looked at the screen, I think you'd always see something uh, worthwhile there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so mo- moving on a little bit, as we're kind of running out of time here, we would be remiss with this movie if we didn't yes. talk about a little bit of uh, some <laughs> of the, in the, room. the behind the scenes kind of things okay. that went on. Um, yeah. So where to start? So well, I, well, I mean, the the big elephant here is is that this film Wizards opened against a little movie called Star Wars. Yes, <laughs> it actually opened, I believe, two weeks before. Um, and there is a Mark Hamill connection because Mark Hamill actually shows up in this movie for like a minute yes, as like a fairy character or something like that. So he's actually in it. He was actually recommended by George Lucas. So George Lucas and Ralph Bakshi knew each other. They were mm-hmm. friends and they were talking about their movies and what they were working on. And, you know, Bakshi told him, oh, I'm working on this movie, uh, Wizard Wars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and But George Lucas already had the idea for Star Wars. So he's like, you know, he asked him, would you mind changing it? He did. The rest is history. Well, you know why he changed it? I, I learned this recently. Well, I read about it a little bit, but what, what, what did you... So apparently he, Bakshi was open to changing the name for two reasons. One, because he liked the name Wizards, but also because Lucas, George Lucas had allowed Mark Hamill to take time off from Star Wars in order to record his voice part for Wizards. So okay, it was a kind of a, a little bit of a favor. Um, yeah. But interestingly, with these two, because they knew each other, 
and they were both involved with the same studio in the making of their films, um, they kind of work together a little bit in terms of not on each other's films, but in kind of supporting each other. And as the story goes, I can't confirm this because I wasn't in the room, but in the research I've done, as the story goes, what happened is both of them needed more money for their respective films. And so they either together or supporting each other separately went into the studio heads and asked for more money and were turned down, but were told that if they would put their own money into their films, and both of them obviously having some money, because George Lucas was coming off of American Graffiti, which was a huge hit, and Bakshi had already had a couple big hits, they were told that if they put their own money into the films, that they could own the merchandising rights to the films. So they both agreed to that and put their own money in, which for Bakshi ended up being a good decision, and for George Lucas ended up being a $4 billion good decision. So that... that the best decision ever. The best decision <laughs> ever. ever. And, and so that actually really kind of changed, if you think about it, the, that, that interaction kind of changed the history of um, movie business and movie industry forever mm-hmm. because it was the first one of the first times that a creator had ownership over i mean it was really probably the first movie property of that size so there was no precedent but for for the creator for the director to have ownership of a property like that Mm -hmm. was just totally unheard of and Mm -hmm. and this was a time when you know the studio system was being broken you know the the old hollywood had pretty much already was dead but this this was a totally new thing this idea of creator as merchandiser creator mm-hmm. it, was, it was a totally new and, and i'm sure i'm sure when lucas told them that they were like oh sure sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whatever like the, you know yeah. in the back of their heads they're like well that's not gonna yeah this is gonna be a one-off yeah. science fiction film that <laughs> yeah, yeah like we'll get all the money and he'll get nothing but in the end it ended up being the best deal he could have made i mean that was you know it was a gamble at the time but yeah like you said it set a pre- precedent and uh now that's like standard in every hollywood contract i'm sure of of, of uh films of this kind of like magnitude at least you know? the, that's the goal um, of the filmmaker the property yeah because if, if they can yeah right the ip is the the most lucrative you know it's like the the golden nugget that you really want um so that yeah and, and lucas started all that um and him and bakshi were, were buddies back then and um so i mean the fact that Star Wars came out two weeks after Wizards, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously wasn't great for Bakshi because, no. you know, because Wizards actually did pretty well. And, you know, like I said, it was very low budget and he had he had prided himself on keeping it like, you know, under the budget and everything like that. So when it came out, it actually did pretty well. Um, but, you know, obviously once Star Wars came out, that was it. That was you it. Know? Which that just, I'm a yeah. little surprised that. And maybe it was just that they thought they were different enough, but I'm a little bit surprised because they were communicating. You would think that Bakshi probably saw a cut of Star Wars at some point. And probably. And then yeah. maybe he, in watching it, he didn't think it was going to be as big of a thing as it was. I personally have a hard time, like, if I was around in the 70s and someone showed me Star Wars, have it, like, to, to say that I would, I would, I would never put my movie anywhere near that. Like, if I was yeah. Bakshi, I probably would have well, been like, just put yours out. Mine will come out a year from yeah. now. Well, there but. is a story that when Lucas was first showing people, because he did show people the, the film that he knew. I'm sure he probably did show back. Probably, at some yeah. Point. But um, when he would show people the film, you know, before it was finished, the main thing is before the audio was completed, before they had the sound finished uh, of the film, it, yeah. people were not impressed at all. They were like, okay. You Interesting. Know? But then the second he, once Walter Murch came in and edited mm-hmm. the sound together and all that, uh, it blew people away. Honestly, that was like the big 
story behind that is that the sound is really what uh, made people stand up and like realize that it was something not to say that people didn't realize before that I'm yeah. sure there were people but um, you know in the early stages probably you know people probably didn't they really didn't know what was coming you know how could you know yeah something like that's that? true yeah um, you never you never know people you, you don't know something's a hit until it becomes a hit and wizards you know is pretty different it's an animated film and yeah. it's more of a fantasy than like a sci-fi I would say but mm-hmm. um, yeah I mean I guess I don't know. I think Star Wars was just such such a phenomenon that it just took over everything. I think it doesn't matter what what the film was that came out before. It no. just doesn't, you know. Well, and it hasn't yeah. let go since. And it hasn't. No. It's not. We're, you know, it's 2019, and now we're yeah. we have a new uh, Star Wars movie coming out this year. So yeah, it's it's um it's crazy. So uh, and obviously Bakshi, you know, I would say more than sci-fi, he very heavily influenced by uh fantasy genre yeah uh he the comic books that he read and and he was a huge lord of the rings fan uh which is something that we're going to touch on in a bit too but he uh he has a lot of obvious allusions to lord of the rings with, with this film um but you know whereas lord of the rings is more of a straight take on fantasy material and kind of became the template in a lot of ways for that kind of thing wizards is more of a it's more of a backshe film at the end of the day. It's more of a personal film, mm-hmm. um, but still has an epic tale, epic story to it. I think you can enjoy it on that level, for sure. Um, and Bakshi would go on to adapt uh, not the entire uh, Lord of the Rings, but he would uh, release a film that I believe it's uh, the fir- the first book and part of the second book. Yeah. I believe it's like halfway through the, the uh, Two Towers. It so. ended in a very weird point, and he was very upset yeah. about that. <laughs> I mean, that was obviously not his intention. He yeah. intended to complete it because he did. He was a huge fan of Tolkien and mm-hmm. loved uh, Lord of the Rings and wanted to finish it. And everyone thought he did a good job with it. So I don't know. I, I, we would have to look into that more maybe for our next episode to yeah. find out why that didn't end up happening. But yeah, he does. You know, he does release an adaptation of Lord of the Rings immediately after this film. I was actually surprised. I think it's the next year, right? Yeah. Um, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> so he releases that. Um, so he was still on this fantasy kick here, and he does, you know, he goes, he dips into this genre again a little bit later in the 80s. So, and he uses rotoscoping to a, a very large degree in Lord of the Rings um, to a point where now when he talks about it, he's actually a little, not regretful, but he, um, he looks at rotoscoping as sort of like uh, a lesser animation style in a way now where he kind of wishes he didn't use it as much. But, you know, at the time, I think it was just like a realistic way to get these huge battle scenes completed. And again, it's a, you know, when it comes down to budget, it's a a little bit more feasible to use rotoscoping. So he did what he had to do. But I think Wizards stands as its own kind of epic uh, fantasy tale, with a little sci-fi mixed in. And I think it's very undeniably Bakshi, which, you know, somehow he's able to, maintain his uh signature through the entire thing which is really uh you know something to to i think praise because an auteur making a film like this you know even if it is your idea you can kind of get lost in the mix but Mm -hmm. i think he he still shines through in this film um, as well as his team of animators and his background artists that really did an amazing job with this movie um it's kind of a mishmash but i think me personally i i think it really works I think all the elements come together, and and like Bakshi said, in the end, it's about the feeling, it's about the message, and I think that comes across. Um, but what did you think about this movie? Did, was there anything that stuck out about it to you that you wanted to talk about? Uh, yeah, I think it was just, for me, it was just a surprising combination. Um, with this movie, I think I saw it when I was younger. Um, it's, one of, it's one of those things where, as I think I've mentioned in other episodes of this series... Bakshi has one of those styles where I don't know if it's because it's been imitated or what, but like 
at least personally, I feel like I've seen a lot more of his stuff than I maybe actually have. It just has this real sense of familiarity to it. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And so I think I've seen this when I was younger, but in watching it now, what really stuck out to me was just that combination of these kind of like uh, industrial authoritarian images with fantasy and, and yeah. the music and the, kind of that weird juxtaposition was just mm-hmm. really interesting for me. I was, as I was watching this, I was where my mind was kind of going, which might be sacrilege, was like, what would a live live action adaptation of this be like oh, no <laughs> no i know it's just a terrible idea but i'm like you know like but it's it's not it's not so far-fetched because there yeah, is so much but not uh, even that but, ju- but not necessarily yeah. an adaptation but something along the lines of like like has anyone done this kind of like mm. futurist industrial combined with fantasy thing and it was it was just like it, it just felt really not fresh really. to it's me like, yeah yeah i mean this that type of setting is explored a lot i would i would say mostly like in the 80s you saw a lot of fantasy sci-fi films with that kind of yeah. aesthetic um now i feel like a lot of sci-fi, they, they go for that Blade Runner kind yeah. of look where it's like neo-noir kind of. But not the fantasy um, nature. No, yeah. not really. Yeah, you don't see much of that. Yeah. Um, you're totally right about yeah, that. Yeah, no, it, it, um, it just felt really interesting and fresh to me. And also, it, yeah. it didn't feel like um, it didn't feel like it's, it prioritized the technology over the fantasy. So yeah. it felt like, like really it was a fantasy story that involved technology and not the other way around, yeah. which felt fresh to me. I yeah. couldn't really think of any other... If, if, you, if you have any examples, feel free to reach out and we can discuss it next <laughs> yeah, time. Let us know. Um, but um, yeah, no. But it really stays true to the fantasy genre, I think. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty impressive, honestly. And it's very unique. Mm-hmm. It's very unique. Um, you don't see much like it. Um, he actually wanted to make a sequel to this, but as of 2019, has yet to happen. <laughs> and, yeah. um, so I don't know if we're going to see that. But what I really love about this movie, and honestly, there's a lot of moments in it that I like, um, but that imagery of the. Um, I would say the the Nazi imagery is just you know most the most striking and kind of what comes to mind when you think of this movie. It's like that and wizards, you know, melding in your brain is, is kind of like crazy. Yeah. Um, and I think that really like that starkness of it is really interesting. And I love that it's a family film that doesn't talk down to kids. Yeah. Um, a lot of people claim that about their films, but I, I really think this does not at all. Mm-hmm. I think it's just it's very grown up. Um, even though it's about wizards and fairies and all yeah, that, yeah, it feels um, adult. I think. It feels very adult, and um, but it's still, you know, at the end of the day, I think a family could get together and watch yeah. it. Theoretically, I don't know if that's a family happen, with a family with teenagers. Maybe I wouldn't yeah. say a family with little kids, but right. Yeah. And in, compared to his other films, you know, we talked about Fritz the Cat, Heavy Traffic mm-hmm. after uh, before this, and right before this was Coonskin. So compared to those films, you know, it's a family film, yeah. family film, yeah. Family film, yeah. Um, but yeah, he was back. She was adamant about um, not talking down to children. And just giving them like a good story, you know, and giving them some fun characters and and uh, a little bit of a message. Um, but I don't think he does it in an annoying way. I think yeah. he does it in an interesting way. And I do want to give a quick shout out to the Blu-ray edition that I bought because I um, I purchased it, you know, just because I was like, you know, I'm going to watch a movie again. I haven't seen it in a while. And I really I remember really liking it. So um, the animation's beautiful. I'll get a Blu-ray. So I got this like really nice 35th anniversary edition of it. Um, and it has it comes along with this nice book with some illustrations and concept art and a little write up about it. Really short, but just kind of cool. Um, if you're into this movie or love Bakshi or anything, I think it's like a, a cool item to pick up. Um, Always good to support physical media when you get the chance. Yeah, I try to when I can. Yeah. Believe me, we're not getting any money from them. So this is just a personal, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, every once in a while you got to pick up that Blu-ray that you're, <laughs> that you're thinking about. So um, it's a good one to get. So um, I think that's going to do it for Wizards. Next, we're going to go, we're going to switch gears a little bit and jump ahead to uh, a film that Bakshi made actually in 1981. 
It's called American Pop, and that's a very different film, um, still personal and still unique in its own way. So we're going to talk about that next. Thanks for listening to Cult Movie Cult. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, and Spotify, as well as on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any cult films you'd like to hear us discuss on the show, or if you'd like to officially join the cult and be a guest on the show, please feel free to reach out to us at cultmoviecult at gmail.com. This has been Cult Movie Cult, and until next time, so long for no side.